Hey guys, welcome back. Episode four of the Hot Break Beer Cast. Is that right? Yes, the Hot Break Beer Cast. <laughs> it's so new, I'm still getting used to it. As always, my partner in crime with me, Christy. Hello. And I'm Brian, in case you don't know that already. It's going to be a good show today, I think. It is. Yes. Um, so we originally had a plan to talk about a particular topic as far as beer knowledge, homebrewing and books versus video and all that stuff. But we actually stumbled upon something that we're both kind of passionate about, and I think we're going to end up talking about that today. Yeah, I think originally we were going to talk about whether there was still a medium and a need for physical books and and research versus what's available online. But somehow we stumbled on just everything's been done. Yeah. That should be the topic of, or the the title of this podcast. And I think it is going to be. I think we should make that the topic, and I think that's what we're going to talk about today. So we'll get into some, some Ben and Brewing news. We'll talk about if everything has been done as it relates to craft beer and homebrewing. You ready, Christy? I am. Let's get into it. Completely unscripted, delightfully unfiltered, and 100% fun. Sit back, relax, and get ready to have a great time as they bring you the latest in beer news. Ben M. Brewing Updates, and General Shenanigans. And now, your hosts, the famed brew crew. All right, Christy, let's get into it. I am excited about our new topic for today. Um, it'll be kind of interesting to see, and, and as per usual, we're here. We've got uh, beer from, who is this from? Carl Strauss. Carl Strauss, Sierra Nevada, and Carl Strauss did a collab, it sounds like. Yes. And we mentioned some cold IPA last time, I think, so you managed to secure us some cold IPA examples, or at least one example, that I'm excited to try. Yeah, I think this week we were going to do um, IPA styles, and one of the topics that came up was new IPA styles overly hopped, which is going to segue into actually what we're going to talk about today, but we were going to do IPA styles that may be over hopped, or then we f- we discovered or thought about the cold IPA, which is now all the buzz. Yes. It's hard to find. Sierra Nevada has a cold torpedo, which we talked about, and it's not available. in the get it out here. Not in Arizona. Oh. So um, this is the next best thing, but this is a collab with Carl Strauss, which is a very famous brewery out in San Diego, much loved brewery. So between those two, it should be good. I think it'll be good. I'm yeah. curious to see what the difference is. I know my IPAs. I don't know. Well, in a cold IPA, as a reminder, is just basically just an IPA that is done colder than a typical. So they use a lager yeast. So it's done colder than a normal ale yeast would do it. But as far as lagers are concerned, they actually do it at a warmer temperature than a typical lager. So it's kind of in between those two ranges, really. So it's not going to be as clean as a typical lager. You want the warmer uh, temperature so that your yeast express more of those esters, get a little bit more fruit notes, a little bit more of the yeast esters, but they're going to balance it with more of the hops, which should be interesting. So I'm excited. Do you want to open yours first? Let's go ahead and pour first? it now before we get started. Yeah, no, let's, I need a beer. Yes, you do. Um, How is, okay, so we always, oh no. Why is it doing that again? Oh, watch your phone. Yeah, they're waterproof. Okay, let me get a towel. Let me go, do you want me to, I'll get it. They're in the drawer behind the chair. All right, I'll let you get saddled again. Ooh, some excitement. <laughs> okay, all right. That is bizarre. Yeah. So I, I I don't know why I cracked that thing open and it exploded everywhere. They've been sitting in the fridge for what four or five hours since you brought them over. Uh, we just took them out and they've been out four minutes. And it's not that hot today. It's like maybe seventy degrees out. Although it's cooler here in the studio. We'll, we'll call it studio. It's the garage, but the studio. 
and you took yours over the sink and opened it. Yeah, and it still overflowed quite a bit. And not to mention that when I bought this at Total Wines, they store this in the fridge. Yeah. So it's not like it's on the shelf. And or so anything. my first thought for a beer when you open it and it gushes everywhere, my first thought is infection. Something got in there, over fermented it, and so it's highly carbonated and it's going to explode. But I don't smell anything off in the beer. Do you, Christy? Let me take a smell. Hold on. No, not at all. It tastes clean. There's in fact, no it's infection. It's rather tasty. It's, it's rather quite, <laughs> quite. indeed. <laughs> yes. Right. No, it is. It's clean. Yeah. There's nothing. What in the hell was that? Does it have anything to do with the yeast or the way it's fermented or anything? Um, it's a lager yeast. It's not a wild yeast. It doesn't go nuts. It doesn't taste overly attenuated. It tastes like it should. Hmm. I don't understand why that happened. That's weird. We're going to have to research that. Yeah. It really overflowed. It overflowed. I mean, it missed me. Thankfully, it ran off the table onto the floor. Um, it did get, well, my phone's waterproof. It did get our little recorder here, but oh no, it just got the underside. It's fine. It's probably happier now. <laughs> little beer, little marination, like, little beer marinade. Finally, you remembered me. <laughs> right. Oh. So, well, that was fun. A little disruption there. Anyways, yeah. So we've got a cool topic. I think we should talk about today. But before we kind of get into that, you know, how's your week been? It's been a couple of weeks since we've really been able to sit down again. How are things going? How you doing? Good. I feel like I say it every week, and it just gets busier and busier. But it's been a very busy two weeks since the last time we saw each other. And did this, but I'm excited to be back at podcasting. We have a couple of videos in the can. We have a new kind of schedule idea to where we're always kind of shooting something every weekend and then taking a break. Got a new schedule that we're trying out, which yeah. so far has been really good. It's been good to kind of hit it week after week to kind yeah. of get this stuff knocked out. Kind of in my world, Vanessa, as you may know, of the Fame Brew crew, I think she's finally started telling people is expecting. Yeah. With her first, which is exciting. Um, so we probably won't hear or see her for a while. While she kind of figures that whole thing out. Yeah. Uh, I told her it was a mistake, but she didn't listen to me. So, you know, she, <laughs> she never she never listens to me anyway. She's going to have to give a beer for nine months. I know. I can't imagine. I know. She's such a beer gal, too. So props to her. Yeah. yeah. No, but we're <laughs> very happy and excited for her. So that'll be good. So as she kind of works through that whole madness that is having your first child that just completely turned your life upside down. Yeah, it's exciting, but though. can be in a very much a good way. So no, we're excited for that. So no, it's been, it's been good to have her her doing that. And um, our brew days are going to be a little lonely. Yeah. Normally, Brian likes to keep the beer efficiency rating higher when she's on a brew day. Well, because of her, we usually have a higher efficiency in our mash and right. stuff. But usually with me, it's less. No, actually, but I am proud. We should talk about this. And I don't want to jinx it, but the last two beers we've brewed have come out really, really well. The Marzen we did for Oktoberfest came out fantastic, mm-hmm. which we were actually drinking a little bit of that earlier today uh, as we were shooting one of our videos, and it was delicious. Yeah. I am super happy with that. The one that's still in the fermenter, the Hellas Bach, mm, that one is delicious so far. And ironically, I think we even talked about it on one of the podcasts. I was a little nervous about that one because the, re- the gravity was off, but... It ended up turning out. Yeah, we so undershot well. the gravity a little bit, but um, a little bit, well, ten points. It's a lot, <laughs> which I still haven't. I haven't been able to really, honestly, dig in and figure out why. But it ta- it doesn't taste over attenuated. It tastes delicious. The maltiness is there. It uh, it's nice and dry. It's very sessionable. It's a good good beer, and I'm excited for that Hellas Bach to get carbon. Like that's gonna be nice. 
our next one that we're going to do, and I'm excited. Christy had the idea to do uh, one that we haven't done in a while. We call it the Prettier Fish. Uh, it's similar to a Sculpin. Yep. IPA. And we may do a night brew with that one. We'll see. The oh weather's been cooling off. It's so beautiful out right now. And just to get back in, I mean, we had two awesome brew days over the past, what, two months? Yeah. Weather's cooling off and getting nicer, so we're just so excited to get back into brewing another beer. We need an IPA on tap. We've had some people over a couple of brew days. Some of the neighborhoods come over, and so uh, I'm running out of beer. I know. It's great, though. We, I know. Yeah. But I need to get some more stuff on tap, so I'm excited for the next brew day. That's going to be a lot of fun. I am so excited. That that might be one of my favorite beers that we've ever brewed. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the first brews, one of the first beers you and I have beer, or I think brewed it together. it was a couple of years yeah. ago, Yeah. And we weren't sure how it would come out, and it came out so well. So I'm curious to see how it turns out this time. But it's always a crowd pleaser. It's just a good IPA to have on. With some, sorry, I'm smoking a cigar, and it's fighting (laughs) me right now. I will win. Um, What's interesting about that beer is the amount of hops that are in it, because I think it's dry hopped. I think we do forced wort hops. I think I have to go back and look at the recipe. I just pulled it out of the, I store a lot of the recipes in the cloud. Um, that we've done before, kind of archived, and so I pulled that one out and and started kind of tweaking it for the next go round. And I'm pretty sure it's dry hop, first war hop. I mean, it's hopped at every step of the way. There's a lot of hops in this beer. Man, it's good. I remember that. I remember how many hop steps there were. Mm. It's a longer brew brew day or brew night because you're constantly having to add them in at certain times. Yeah, but it's, it's a good beer. Worth it. yeah. yeah, we may have to. And this is one I do want to make sure that. You know, we've had some struggles getting ingredients. How much of that is just with shipping the way it is and, and, and supply chain stuff, although I don't know if it is or not. Um, you know, our local homebrew shop that we get a lot of the stuff from, they've not had a lot of the stuff that they used to have. And, you know, I, I sort of get it. They're streamlining things. And, you know, if stuff's not selling, they're not going to carry it. But sometimes it leaves you in the lurch when you go there and you're like, okay, I need a nice Belgian two-row. Yeah, all we carry is U.S. two-row now makes it a little difficult to do specific beers. So there's a number of shops local that we're going to stick with to support local because that's important. Uh, and I definitely want to make sure we do this one right, especially if we're doing 10 gallons of it. Like, it's got to be a good beer. I think the last time we had an issue where we couldn't get the yeast we needed, and we did that one with Kvike too, I'm pretty sure. Well, that was on purpose. We were trying to do Kvike to see what the results were, and we will never do that again. No, I think that was because we didn't have a choice. Really? We did. Okay. We did the Vanessa's... Um, Vanessa's Blonde. Blonde with Kvike, because that's all we... Oh, because we, you are correct. Once yeah. again, you are correct. You have better memory than I do. I, You know what? It's a blessing and a curse. I've been told by like multiple people that I have a good memory the past two weeks, and it really sucks because I remember all the good things, but I also remember all the bad things. And that with that Kvike yeast was one of them. So that's literally... I feel like there's a time and a place for Kvike, but not for what we're doing with this beer. No, well, and especially when it's super hoppy. Because depending on the strain, but typically Kvike tends to be more fruity and accentuate those flavors. When you've got an overly hopped IPA that's used to regular yeast, you throw a Kvike in there, that's too much. It is way too fruity. It is, it's not pleasant. It's not balanced. So we will do a appropriate yeast. Yeah. I'm going to come up with a logo for this beer. I'm so stoked. This is like our baby, this beer. Yes. It's very good. This could be our flagship. Speaking of projects and things, and... I'm excited because we started looking into getting you a kit <laughs> so that you can start brewing. Yeah. 
Uh, and we don't have to go into a lot of detail on it because we've got a, a, a segment that'll, or a series that'll hopefully come out with that. But, um, you know, one of the things that Christie's approached me with, with this, um, you know, we brew on my way overly complicated all grain system and it's just a massive amount of space. And, you know, um, we look at a lot of brewers like the apartment brewer who has since upgraded, but he used to, you know, brew in his apartment in small spaces and things. And, you know, um, Christie loves cooking. And crafting recipes. And I think if we can come up with a nice, low-space, low-maintenance brewing system kit that she can put together, she can craft some recipes, she can play around, she can ferment it in her place, um, I think a lot of people would benefit from just having that, the recipes that we can come up with, or really you can come up with, no pressure, uh, and the technique and the process to, to do, you know, the the... Smaller kitchen style brewing, hundred percent. You know, without all the fancy chillers and coolers and burners and just the stovetop, which is what a lot of brewers do. And and when you're as obsessed in the hobby as I am, you can kind of I don't want to say forget, but you do kind of forget about not where you came from, but maybe where you came from, where it's just that's how you started. And so you got all these fancy the pumps and the burners and. Uh, but you can still make excellent beer on a stovetop. Yeah. Very easily. I think I kind of, I know like there are a lot of people that do this, but I think I want to take it like a step up, not just with the recipes and brewing itself, but like I kind of want to go in with the aspect of like, okay, I I live in a very small apartment. Where can I store the, how do I store this to where it's not, taking up my entire apartment like just almost organization like how can i do do a very efficient brewery like brewing system with just pots and stuff but store them in a way that they're not sticking out or like because nowadays everyone's about like <laughs> amazon organization and stuff like that i feel like there could be a good way for someone in a small apartment to brew but also have a way to organize it and store it and I, I don't know. I feel like it's like almost a two-parter. <laughs> like I think so. And be able to reuse, or not reuse, but the stuff that you currently have. Right. Use that as part of the brew house. Uh, and you have a great place to do the fermentation. One of the closets that you have is dark. It's quiet. The color is consistent. The color, the temperature is consistent. Um, and I, so Yeah, I'm almost thinking of making that closet like my brewery closet. You though. can store stuff in there. Yeah. So get like a, some shelves for stuff. See, and my brain's already gone into overload. I'm like, oh yeah, we can get you some pegboard with some hooks and stuff, and we can totally hang everything on I, the wall. Yes. And, oh. It's like the pipe or the uh, tubing I need, and yes. like all that. Yeah. Like have that organized. I can find it. I think we can do it. Yeah, and then I could show people like I live in a tiny space, but look at how I organize this. And even looking at doing it, not even from a five gallon batch standpoint, which is kind of the standard for most people when they start. I'm thinking, you know, we should really do even smaller batches, or to three gallon, two gallon. Chilling is less. You have less beer you got to go through. Um, you know, we can still put it on tap in your kegerator, which was lovely featured in our last video with the tap line cleaning, which hopefully we posted relatively soon. But um, you got a nice two tapper there. You put a commercial beer on tap, and you got a homebrew tap on the other one. I mean, it's a great balance for what you have. If you'd be able to throw on a nice little three gallon batch on there, seasonal and this kind of stuff. Oh, that's magic. That's what I'm thinking. I'm when, excited. When Brian came over this morning to pick me up to for all this, 
I'm like on the patio trying to make sense of Charlie Papazian's book. I'm like, I'm like trying to figure out how to start. <laughs> but... It can be overwhelming sometimes yeah. with all the information and stuff out there. And, and Charlie is, his books are so great about, he really simplifies the way that the brewing is. And I don't know if anybody can do it any simpler than the way he breaks it down. But it still can be a little overwhelming and intimidating. I mean, it's easy to look at that and go like, oh, you're just, it's, it's, there's so many things. Yeah. So I'm glad you're finally reading that book that I gave you six years ago. Okay. I did read like more than half of it, but a lot of it's Looking tables. at the pictures doesn't count as reading, just to be clear. Okay. Some of the pages are, ta oh no, I did learn a lot. I think that's, I actually will recommend that book to anyone that's into homebrewing because after I read that, I had a better understanding of what you were doing out there. Like what we were doing. It does a good, it's a good basic. The and yeast section to me was the most, I think we talked about it, was the most kind of um, beneficial and interesting part of the book for me because it talks about the different types of yeast and why you use them for, like, so when we we're talking about the lager yeast and it, how it's a colder yeast versus a warmer yeast, like that was extremely interesting to me. So. But it can be very overwhelming, definitely. Oh, 100%. When you first get into it. But just having that basic knowledge. And even if even if you're not brewing, just having that understanding when you're going and appreciating the craft beer really kind of opens a whole new window of things to look at and to understand. So, I mean, it's yeah. just, it's awesome. How is your cold IPA, speaking of lager yeast? I think it's good. It's just weird when it overflows and foams like that when you open it up. But... It actually tastes quite good. I just, what do you think the difference is between this? Can you taste the difference between this and a regular IPA? Yes. I, I mean, it is an IPA, obviously, but it's it just. It is cleaner and drier. Drier, I feel that. There is less of a sweetness to it, and, and maybe that's less of the yeast. It could just be the particular recipe they've got. But this particular one, it's very refreshing. The It's so dry in the finish that the hops almost take on a lingering effect on the palate so you finish it it's got a little bit of fruity sweetness to it a little bit of citrus and then that fades away and i'm left with with hops mm -hmm. uh bitter hops not and almost was it piney i'm trying to figure out what i got yeah, in my mouth right now a little bit. it has the typical ipa taste i think for me and i don't maybe it's in my head but you know how like okay it's a terrible analogy but you know how you go to some places, like for instance, Twin Peaks, they have a thermometer or thing up on their screen and it's like, we're storing the spirit like, and it's really cold temperature, but you're also drinking like light, like Bud Light or something. So it needs to be cold. For those of you that don't have a Twin Peaks in your area... It's um, like a Hooters kind But like school girl uniform Hooters. Catholic girl yeah. skirts. They actually have good Hence wings. the name Twin Peaks. They have good wings. Of course they do. That's the only reason you go there is for the wings. <laughs> but. Anyways. but so, it's, it's, so that's the vibe. Although I, I shouldn't say that's the vibe. I think it's. I don't know if I've ever been to a Twin Peaks. My impression from what people have said is uh, classier. I would go to Twin Peaks versus Hooters. Better beer. Better, better craft beer. Yeah. Okay. But. Sorry for inter so sorry for the no, segue. No, no, because like I think that like there's there are people that like Hooters for their wings, and it's also like supposed to be a family friendly restaurant. So there's that. Twin Peaks is. I think that's what they used to call they it. They do say that. Yeah. 
But then Twin Peaks is kind of like a sports bar with girls in school. Anyway, long story short, okay. when you go into a lot of locations, it's like we have our beers at this really cold temperature. And you know that like even if you're drinking an IPA, if you if it's too cold, you don't you lose the flavors. I feel like this beer could be cold and you would still get all the flavors. Like I'm talking about like cold cold. You know, I never thought of that, but I think you're right. Well, we just took it right out of the fridge, and we it did taste exactly the and same. And it exploded. But but no, it was super cold. But it does have a lot of flavor. You know, like you know how like a lot of IPAs or a lot of those beers you drink, an IPA should be cold, cold. but not like not not till the mountains turn blue cold. Right. Hopefully, none of our listeners know what that means. If you do, I am very sorry. Um, no, you know what? I think you're right. I think it's super cold. It would be even more crisp than it is. I mean, I feel like the name of a cold IPA because of the fermentation, but in this case, I think it being a little bit colder, it would be, it would still be good. I think you can drink this beer cold, this IPA cold, yeah. and you won't lose the flavor. Yeah. Where cold tends to kind of freeze the flavor, if that makes it, sense. It, the colder the beer, and this is why big... The macro brews, the Bud Lights, Coors Lights, you know the ones. The beer has to be served at just above freezing because your taste buds can't taste it. It's too cold. It almost numbs your tongue so you can't taste it. And that's why those beers, when they warm up, they're not good. So the sign of a good beer, for the snobbery, forgive me. You know, the warmer you do it, the British beers that are done warmer at cellar temperatures, which is like 50 degrees, they're still good beers. Because you're not numbing your tongue. This beer, I think, would still have a ton of flavor exactly. when it's cold, to your point. 100%. I want to do that experiment now. Now I want to get it really cold and see how it is. But as it's sitting out here and it's warming up as we're talking in the studio slash garage, it still has a great clean flavor. Right. It's a, it's a really good IPA. It's... It is a little bit different. I don't mind it. I really am starting to enjoy it. Maybe it's like we can call it a beer that could be served at any temperature, really, and it would be okay. I think it'd be all right. Yeah. No, it's really good. I'm enjoying it. So that gets... So I feel like the cold cold IPA is a good segue into what we were going to talk about today. Should we talk about YouTube? Sure. Is that okay? Yeah, let's do I'm excited about YouTube right now. I want to get into this topic because it's, it's such a good one. Um, as far as the beers go, and, and something I think we have a lot of passion for, but just a quick YouTube update and kind of a better brewing update, really. We talked a little bit about the videos we've done. You we run a good schedule to kind of get some stuff pumped out. Tap line cleaning is uh, in process, and that's a good one. And I think we ended up, to kind of demo the video, we ended up cleaning both of our tap systems, both a two-tapper and a six-tapper, just to give you a range of different ways to do it. Um, but in full transparency and honesty, you know, tap line cleaning, it's a time consuming thing and you should stay on top of it. You really should to stay ahead of it and make sure your tap lines are clean. You're not doing any damage to that, that beer that you're making. I'm not great about tap line cleaning. Uh, I try to stay on top of it, but it's just not easy. And I know Christy kind of same thing for you. Um, I've, I've taught you some things, but I've never actually shown you how to do the proper tap cleaning. And so those were a little neglected, kind of like mine. And so doing the tap line cleaning was a reminder that, oh, it makes such a huge difference visually when you look at the lines, the difference, like, wow. Mm -hmm. But flavor wise, and if you're drinking from your tap system over time, you don't necessarily notice the change over time that it, or the impact that it has. It has a huge impact. So, wow, what a difference. 
I think that like you mentioned, it's a huge lesson, right? Because like anything, if you leave it for too long, it's harder to clean. Like you it takes think of, more time. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like it's like grout on tile, or or maybe not that, but like just no, a hundred percent. If you don't stay on top of cleaning your cleaning your tile, oh my gosh, here's my cleaning background coming through. Um, that stuff takes hold and gets in there really deep, and it's so hard to get out unless you're using a harsher chemical or more scrubbing mechanical action, which is in the video I talk about a little bit. Um, absolutely, 100%. When you do that little maintenance cleaning and you stay on top of it, it's so much less time-consuming. When you wait and you don't do it, it takes much more time, and it's just... We got so much B-roll or so much footage of this because both of our tap lines were so dirty. They so were needed to be cleaned. They were I bad. I feel like we flushed mine like twice, which is disgusting. But like we had to go through it a couple times just to get it clean. So like I learned that it needs to be done on a regular basis. Yeah. yeah. But it made a difference in the beard. It made a huge difference. And I, you know, again... I forgot how big of a difference it makes. It really impacts it. So that video, we're very excited about. Um, there's another one coming. We're doing a product review. I don't want to get more details on that. but It's going to be uh, a big one. It's a big one. Yeah, no, we're working on that one. Um, but overall, our YouTube took a pretty big jump uh, since the last episode. I don't remember what we were in the last episode. We weren't. We were. We were below 250. We were at 240, 230. Something I don't remember. Like that. But I'm, I'm looking now. On YouTube, that's what I just went to go look up, and we're at 263. 263. Yeah, uh, yeah no, it spiked the last couple of weeks. A bunch of uh, new subscribers, which we appreciate so much. So thank you guys for that. Um, a lot more viewership. Our, our, our watch time has actually gone up quite a bit, too. So again, we're not chasing the algorithm for YouTube. We're just trying to put the information out there. And it's very gratifying when... People are watching it and commenting. Had a ton of comments on stuff and questions and some some great back and forth. I mean, um, it, it's it's invigorating and it makes us want to keep plugging away and doing what we do. So yeah. thank you guys very much for that. We really appreciate it. It was a, it was a good couple of weeks for YouTube and, and us putting stuff out there. Um, and also, I kind of mentioned to Christy with all the other sites that we're on. Uh, so YouTube, of course, uh, we are posting on rumble so if you're on rumble definitely check us out on there uh we're also on odyssey and bitshoot bitshoot's a new one um that's a tough one i don't know if we'll continue on that Probably how do you not. know about all these things like i don't even know what any of thing that you I just mentioned was i obsess over this stuff and just look at the alternatives besides youtube to post the content and what else people are out and, and doing and and there's a lot of great video video sites out there that people are on and so just trying to get the stuff out there i appreciate so. that i have no idea what you just said <laughs> so i should look those up <laughs> and i'm the one doing our video and i have no clue what you're talking about <laughs> you're like web hosting what does that even mean it's all good i got your back no problem all so, right, thanks. So yeah, no, so good stuff with Ben and Brewing, and you know we're gonna fin finish out the year, and 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 we're excited for the rest of the year and the weather that's coming and stuff. So uh, stay tuned for more, and um, you know we'll keep keep plugging away. And again, on a lot of our videos and things, if you check us out and you subscribe, message us on there because we really respond to everything. Um, just because we like talking to the people and the people who are passionate about it as well. And if you're on YouTube, check out our website, benandbrewinghbe.com. Um, there's a contact form on there. You can reach out to us. Let us know what you want to what what you want to see. We're happy to create a video for that, and mm -hmm. just even just talk back and forth. Uh, and the biggest thing that you know we really want to help out. There's a live chat feature on our website. Um, you know, hit it, 
and it'll message us and we'll help you through your brewing 911. You're out there brewing and you're having an issue and you're not sure what to do or you need a little guidance or you have a question, just chat us up and we'll answer in real time. Um, it's something we really enjoy doing and we love to talk to the people that follow us and, and, and are passionate about the beer. So it's fun. We enjoy it. And we are always looking for good ideas to do videos. So mm-hmm. if anyone wants to see a video, for sure, let us know. And even product reviews and things. I mean, we love playing with those new toys and mm-hmm. getting those things dialed in. And it's just, it's just fun for us. So yeah. we love it. So with this IPA that we've got, which is, I'm really enjoying. I actually grabbed the other cans out of the fridge here. Did it real quick. And brought some towels for the explosion that will probably come. We're I'm probably still going to go to the sink. <laughs> <laughs> Get the tub out here. I don't know why they do that. It's so weird. We'll have to look that up or figure it out chemically why that or chemistry wise that would do that. Maybe other people, I wish you'd probably look that up. See, not right this second, but see if other people are having the same issue with it. So, the conversation today that, that Chris and I were talking about earlier when we talk about the cold IPA and like, how did somebody come up with a cold IPA? Because when you look at all the styles, and IPA obviously is very popular, and there's a lot of other things out there, but a lot of stuff has been explored. And I, I almost feel like, or you were saying, you know, you almost feel like everything's already been done, both in the world in general. I mean, look at the look at the shows and the movies that have come out in recent, you know, past. Everything's a remake, right? A lot of the the movies that have come out um, are are done off of books that were written, uh, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, like already already out. Yep. And, and created, now they're doing movies of it, or they're doing remakes of movies that have already been done. Mm-hmm. So it's like all of that is already, it's like are we out of the creativity. Has everything already been done? And so now we're just on a repeat of things. And when you throw that into the brewing, you know, we've been brewing since the Egyptians 4,000 years ago and beyond, older than that. Has everything already been done from a brewing standpoint? I mean, is there any originality left with how it applies to the modern craft beer movement or the enjoyment i mean i think that it's, it is we got on the topic actually because we're both as you know from previous podcasts that we're both movie buffs and we both love to read like we're both avid readers avid readers yeah. so i think the topic came up like you see shows that are hugely popular right now like man in the high castle on amazon which is like one of their highest most expensive budgeted high budgeted shows and then you but that was written by philip k dick who also wrote blade runner but that was written back in the 60s and then there's a show called brave new world and that was written by algis huxley that was written in 1932 and you gotta wonder these shows are now making it big and it's popular and it seems like this new idea but someone in 1932 wrote this story and it's now coming back out as it's new and it's just like this dystopian future where someone thought about that back in 1932 and yet we're still thinking this is the best idea ever so like i do wonder when it comes to brewing is that why people are trying to do crazy things like we mentioned last week and they're like coming up with strawberry shortcake beers or velvet chocolate cake beers or cold ipas which I mean, you mentioned has to have happened before this was released. The the cold IPA. Yeah. I don't think they called it a cold IPA. It was just because if you think about it, I mean, if if you're brewing, you know, how many hops can you possibly cram into a beer? Like, there's only so much that you can handle before it just becomes undrinkable. 
and it's not balanced. It's not enjoyable. So what other things can you tweak? I mean, maybe somebody's like, well, what if we fermented it colder so it's a little cleaner? Well, you can't go that cold when it when you're using an, an ale yeast. Well, why not use a lager yeast? I mean, I, I can almost just see the progression of thought like, yeah, that's a great idea. That's totally new. Yeah, I'm sure someone's already done it. I'm sure multiple people have already done it. It's a great idea, absolutely. But, you know, how far back has someone been doing it? I mean, I would assume a home brewer probably was the first one to really attempt it because they tend to be a little bit more on the forefront of trying new and crazy things. One, because they're not out to make money with it. It's an artistic, creative thing. And if they screw up a batch, it's not out, you know, thousands of dollars. So, yeah, I could see a homebrew doing this a while ago, and then the commercial kind of catches on and does it. Or maybe it was a commercial brewer that was a home brewer and just took that knowledge from when he or she had done it as a home brewer. And I think it's interesting that, you know, everything seems to be going extreme. You have, you know, copious amounts of hops. The beers are darker. The a good example, we had a uh, a local brewery here, Kitsuni, that did their final launch. Um, uh, uh, Tyler Smith, I think it was Smith. Tyler, doesn't matter. Tyler Kitsuni. Um, he finally got his brewery open. He's been trying the licensing. He goes through the usual hoops and things. And he's been selling his stuff, contract brewing, getting out there. A lot of his IPAs are very extreme. So Christy and I were able to go and do the pre-launch. It was kind of their soft opening. We got invited. We went. And we got to taste uh, a couple different beers. There was a brown ale. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, you did an IPA. Do you remember which one it was? I think it was the, not forager? the forager, but it was the hoppier forager. The hoppier forager. Yeah. The, hop, the, the, the double forager yeah. or something like that, right? So, you know, we tasted, I tasted the brown ale because I'm like, let's try a brown ale. That'll be nice. Um, and it was, this is not meant to be a detraction, but it was a caramel flavor, brown ale. But it was a burnt caramel. It was extreme, right? So kind of at the extreme end of the flavor spectrum. The double-hopped forager IPA that you had was a little more extreme in the flavor. He even had a rice lager that was supposed to be inspired by uh, kind of a Japanese kind of lager, and he used a jasmine rice in it. Extreme. Um, And to be honest, I don't. neither one of us were fans of that particular beer. Uh, there were a lot of people who were drinking it and enjoying it, but for us, it was cloudy, it was yeasty, it was sulfury, it was... Uh, yeah, I was not a fan. I think that that also goes to show you that for every person that doesn't like something, there's people that do. Absolutely. Because like, I'm on my Facebook feed, and I'm like, this person went there, and they're loving this beer, and this person's posting about how great this beer is. Everyone has a different palate, right? So it, there is a place for it. Absolutely. The people were, and were, were loving it. Um, but... Every brew, every beer that he was brewing was pushed a little bit, pushing the envelope, pushing that extreme, which is what craft beer is. They push the extremes. That's what they do. And, it, it, you know, it just, it, it was a good question of, a good thought of, you know, everything is pushed extreme. Is that because everything has been done? And so, you know, what's the new frontier because you really can't go less. Like, oh, what is this? Oh, it's an IPA, but we didn't add hops. We're going for a different thing. You know, this is a this is a brown ale, but we didn't put any chocolate malt in it because you're you're taking flavor away. That doesn't seem to be the way that it makes sense to go. You you have to go extreme. And so all of his beers pushed the envelope. Um, and you know, for our palates, it, it was a bit extreme. We didn't you know necessarily 
you know, we weren't drain pouring them by any stretch. No, they were good beers. But the they weren't really balanced according to what we enjoy to drink. But that's just us. Like you said, there are people out there that enjoy that. And uh, the bar was packed for the soft opening, and people were down in the beers. Like, they were really enjoying them. They were appreciating it. And so certainly not a, a, a dog on any of the stuff that he's brewing because he's clearly very talented. He's not afraid to take the risk. Absolutely not. That's the thing. No, he's like, extremely creative, too. But I think there's two things. Okay, one, the beer, the IPA that I had still felt like there was yeast in it, and I felt like it was fermenting in my body after I drank it. So, like, I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just saying that it was so yeasty and cloudy that I'm like, this is just not my thing. But by the same token, I feel like I wonder, you know, with all the extreme beers coming out and the competition for breweries and people going out and like, I think it kind of goes back to sci-fi and like these crazy ideas with stories and, and you know, I, I like to write, you like to write, you like to read, I like to read. I always have this idea like dystopian wise, like, well, it's a future where things are so technical that, you know, it replaces this, this, and this, and it replaces simplicity, right? So I wonder, and you have to wonder if with all the extreme beers coming out, there's a reason why you and I like a place like Lake Pleasant so much or a place where... Their you, classic styles are super solid, balanced. Because you're all, like Russian River and Vinny, you are guaranteed to get Pliny and it's going to taste the same and it's a good, beyond good IPA. You have to wonder if it gets to a point where everything's so extreme that you really just want to go back to the basics. You know what I mean? Like, and it even goes down to like brewery setting, right? So like places can be kind of sterile because that's the whole industry park thing. People might just want a warm feeling to go to to have a good beer. Like, well, so let's talk about, you know, speaking of things that have been done repeatedly and everything's been done before and, um, you know, pushing those extreme beers and, and the direction that things are going. When you look at the the brewery launches, and especially the ones that we've seen recently, it's the industrial park. It's the giant, sterile kind of building. You can see the brewery in the back, which at this point really isn't a novel thing, which is sad because I still think it's cool, but a lot of people, it's a little, you know, it's... It's the same atmosphere. It's a it's an industrial park, vaulted ceiling, brewery in the back. Um, the the cooler walk in borders on the back of the uh, the bar, and there's a bunch of tap lines all all across it. So, you know, it's been done. It's been done repeatedly. Now I understand why it's been done. Opening a brewery is capital intensive. There's a lot of costs that go into that, and the majority of it is in your brew house. That's a huge investment. Every corner that you can cut, I shouldn't say corner you can cut because they're not cutting corners. Every expense you can save on will help to make you profitable so your business is successful. So I understand that that particular model works, but it's been done so many times it's no longer a cool novel thing to go and do. And to your point, the ambiance, the atmosphere impacts the flavor of the beer. I really think it it your environment changes the way things taste. 
And so if you don't mind going to an industrial area and drinking the beers and you appreciate it from that standpoint, that works. But I think craft beer has expanded to the point where not just the beer nerds are going out to the industrial park to sit in the brewery to drink a beer. You want a nice atmosphere to go along with it. Well, I think that beer is kind of crossed over to a point where it's like wine in a way where, and not everyone will agree, but it took a long time for craft beer to be respected as a beer that's not just swill. You're just drinking beer because it's cheap. Nowadays, people do think of beer as like a wine that pairs well with food. And I think that nowadays the craft beer demographic also is kind of a foodie in a way. So it's hard. Yes, there are some breweries that will do great with food trucks outside and in an industrial area. But I think a lot of times people want to go to somewhere that serves good beer, but also good food and has an atmosphere and environment. It's not like you have to go to a wine bar to get an environment. People want to go somewhere that's comfortable that you can have a beer, but that doesn't feel so sterile and kind of harsh and you can enjoy food and it's more of a vibe versus I'm just going to go to a brewery and have some beer. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And, you know, having that in that same opening brewery that's in that same model, which I understand why. And, and again, we'll rewind this a little bit back to the, the beer that's been done. Like, has everything been done and pushed to the extreme to the point where it's turning people off to, because they're trying to do something different. I mean, we talked in a previous episode about the red velvet cake in a fermenter and a, and a bright tanker, however they did that, like, uh, at some point, you know, I just want a good beer. Mm-hmm. I don't want anything weird. I don't want any massive fruit. I don't want a giant flower in there. I want a good classic style that I can that I can really enjoy. I don't mind exploring and trying a thing here and there. And, you know, maybe the breweries are doing that to get people in. But, you know, maybe everything has already been done. The, you know, the double hop, the triple hop, the, the cold IPA, the fruit stouts. The blackberry chocolate porters, the, um, you know, what's unique out there that you can find at a brewery that hasn't been done before that is unique only to that brewery and isn't some sort of a reimagining of whatever style it is. I think that on our way back to the studio, we had an interesting conversation about libraries, right? And like the fact that a library's aren't as popular as they were before. And if they are great to some people, but most people don't go to libraries anymore. Then we were talking about the Dewey Decimal System and microfiche and like all that. Like I do have to believe that as society evolves and we become more technologically advanced or more extreme when it comes to brewing, people are always going to crave what was familiar at one point, if that makes sense. Like, yes, there are people out there that might have their Kindle and that's, they are fine with that. There's always going to be a demographic where we crave reading a hardcover book. I feel like with brewing, we are open to different styles, but you're always going to go back to what's comfortable. It's like going home and having comfort food. You're always going to want to go back to like this, the beer style that you like, that's familiar, that's just good, and you know it's solid. Like You know your mom's stuffing is or mashed potatoes or whatever is always good. 
it's like I'm always going to go back to Russian River because I know their Pliny is good. It's like comfortable. It reminds me of good times, if that makes sense. Kind of like you were saying with vibe and ambience. If the vibe's good, you're going to enjoy the beer more. I will absolutely enjoy something that's comfortable. And when you think about the classic styles of the beers that have been around for hundreds of years, it's really only a recent development where they've taken those styles and pushed the envelope to try to create something new and unique. And with the technology that we have, you know, we can recreate a beer that comes from a specific region with um, the yeast that they use because we understand the microbiology. We understand the water chemistry. We can recreate anything from any part of the world. And maybe back when they didn't have that understanding, you couldn't recreate those things. You couldn't, you know, brew a dark beer in Pilsen. Because the water didn't support it. You didn't understand it. It just, you tried it, didn't work. We didn't do it. And so there was those region-specific beers that you had to go there to get. Well, with our understanding of the technology, we know how to recreate those things. There's nothing that's really a region-specific beer anymore, especially in craft beer. So is that a blessing and a curse? We have the technology to recreate anything we want anywhere. And so anybody can do anything. And is that pushing, why they push that envelope of, well, I can recreate a perfect Pilsner. I can recreate a perfect Hellesbach. I can recreate a Belgian beer because I have access. I can take the yeast. I can do all of that. And so you don't have to go to Belgium to get the beer. You don't have to go to Germany to get the beer. You don't have to go to Japan to get those, those lagers. You can recreate those anywhere. And so is that no longer special? You don't have to travel. And so in order to differentiate, they have to push the envelope to try to do something different. You know, does that matter? But have you, have you, okay, for instance, your favorite beer, one of mine too, is Chimay. Mm. Chimay, the blue. But yes. Yes. But has there been a beer that you found that you like as much as that beer, Belgian style-wise? I mean, no. And yes, no. maybe you have, but you still always go back to Chimay. Even if you did, you'd probably still always go back to Chimay because it's comfortable and it's good. And it's- well, I've never been to the brewery in Chimay, so the monks won't let me in. <laughs> but what I'm saying is. But to your point, I've never had a commercial beer that was anything like Chimay. And I know that they've changed in the fact that it's not quite the same process as it used to be. At the same time, it's still great and it's something. There's going to always be a need for Chimay. And that's just a oh, for sure. I mean, classic style that no one can duplicate. And if they do, I'm still going to go back to Chimay. Like if somewhere, I oh. wonder if that's an, it, it is a unique example. And there are probably others out there like that where not everybody likes Chimay. So if you're a local craft brewery and you open up in Glendale, Arizona, and all you do is those Belgian style beers, Chimay, is there enough of a market to support it? I don't think so. What about the which other- is what makes the Chimay so unique? Is they have a worldwide distribution to support the monastery, well, the the brewery that's there, and so it will always be unique because no other brewer will be able to capture that wide of a market to be able to do it, and so no one's really replicating that because not everyone likes Chimay. Not everybody has the refined pellets that but they do. Ninety percent of people. Not 90. A lot of people don't like IPAs. So many people don't like IPAs. Which is crazy that it's so popular. 
and all the variations on an IPA. But I can't, I don't have any friends that actually like IPAs as much as you and I do. Because they just, it's not their thing. Why is it so popular? Right. Or what's the beer that we, you and I love that's um, the cherry, why am I drawing a blank? The cherry Belgium. The... Uh, it's a Lambic. Lambic. Um, Frembois. No, 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 no. The... That's the style. Sorry. Uh, it's a spontaneous fermented, right? The the light effervescent. No, it's the really heavy no. one that's, <laughs> it's, it comes in the big bottle and it's like a white bottle. Um, Cherry? It's the one where we were going to do with the, it was the Belgian Strong. Um, Dragoon? It was the Belgian. No, not Dragoon. Ugh. It was the Belgian Strong clone that we were trying to do. I can't believe it. It's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe um, it. No, it's not Dragoon. That's an IPA from, from, they're from Tucson, aren't they? Yeah. Um, no, it's um, it's a Belgian dark strong ale. Right, but it has the cherry. Golden Drac. Yes. Not Dragoon, Golden Drac. Oh. Can you look at a beer like that? Have you heard, have you had anything quite like that ever? No, else? no, absolutely not. But again, does it follow the same Belgian rule, the same Chimay rule, where a local brewery couldn't sell enough beers to support that particular style? And that's because they're a nationally, internationally distributed beer that they're able to find that niche market that enjoys and appreciates that particular beer. I think people have tried to do it, but I don't think you can do it as well. Well, and those are definitely closely guarded secrets, too, for that particular... I guess going back to like our conversation though, I think that like there is a need for extreme beer, but then there's a need for the classics. You have to have the classics. They've been around for hundreds of years. They can't go away. I think the extremeness of what's going on now, I don't want to call it a flash in a pan. It's going to go on for a while, but I feel like the central core of people that enjoy beer like to explore and explore those craft, uh, those, those styles that push the envelope. But if you can get a good classic style of some of these beers, it's just spot on. You enjoy it. It just it it for me it, it kind of brings me home. Like oh, exactly. Yes, this is what I know. Right. So no matter what, and no matter how extreme something is, and whatever changes with the times, there's always going to be a need for the classic. I feel, and if you think about, I Chimay, hope so. I really hope they don't go away for all these cr- these crazy styles. I don't think they will, but well, think about Chimay, for instance. When was the first time they brewed that? You know what I mean? Like you're talking about 1800s. So, so it's going back to it. Kind of comes full circle with like books or stories that have been written since 1932 that like people now think are great ideas. Everything's been done. This Chimay was brewed back in the day. It's such a good beer that no one's ever been able to replicate, and it's been done already. Does that make you sad to think that all the good beer styles have already been done, and everything else is just a reimagining of, and it's like, ah, no, I still prefer the original. It's nice to kind of go out and play a little bit. Yeah, I still like the original. I mean, is that disappointing, especially as a craft brewer trying to get into the market? Like, yeah, it's all been done, dude. No, it's all been done. Because I think we've had this conversation before, and IPA is a good style because- Again, we've talked about how you can't throw a stick at a bar without finding an IPA. It's true. But I think that what we maybe need to look at is not necessarily an extreme style, but just a different version, right? So, like, IPA-wise, 
what's the difference between Mother Road, Dragoon, Fate, Fateful, uh, Oso, Boom Dynamite, four IPAs. But they're all completely different. Still a need for it because we like each one for their own reason. Does that make sense? It does. So I don't think it's peaked. I just think that maybe everyone's going to have their own style. But like you don't necessarily need to overhop the out of it and then it's going to be the way to go. I just think that like maybe a subtle difference. It's kind of like, okay. <laughs> it's like going No, you're to, making a good point. Like it's going to like, it's okay. It's like going to New York and Chicago or whatever and someone that's bagels from New York, pizza from New York, pizza from Chicago. Everything's going to be slightly different based on water profile, based on what they use in the for the dough and the sauce everything's going to be slightly different but it doesn't mean you don't like pizza from luigi's but you also don't you or it doesn't mean that you have to like pizza from luigi's but you have to hate ray's pizza or you have to or you know what i mean like or chicago style pizza versus new york style pizza it's it's slight it's different but it's the same if that makes sense so like for ipas i feel like Every brewery is going to have a slightly different profile. Like Oso, they happen to put, isn't that a more citrus-based IPA? I think so, yeah. We're like, Fateful, I, I can't even put my hand on it or finger on it, but that beer is just beyond good. Where it still tastes different from Mother Road, which is also beyond good. But they are they don't taste the same, but they're both equally good. I, I'm sorry, it's hard to explain. No, that totally makes sense, especially when you use the pizza analogy, where pizza's not always pizza. There's subtle differences. Do they all use pepperoni? You know what I mean? Do they always pizza dough? Yes. Do they always cheese? Yes. The water use profile yes. is different. Water profile is different. All those little subtleties can make a different beer. So back to the pushing the extremes. Pushing extreme isn't necessarily the way to go with the beer that you want, that you're going to come back to and be familiar with. Love their for fate brewing their faithful beer. Faithful is so good. Dragoon love the dragoon. Uh, Mother Road love their IPA. Um, but they're all completely different. They're all IPAs. And maybe that's why the IPA is pushed so much as a style because you get a lot more flexibility with the flavor profile because there's so many different varieties of hops out there and so many different ways you can use them. When you're talking about the grain bill, you're a little bit more limited with the grain that's out there. You can't do extreme flavors of grain. That's just not how it is. And the same with the yeast. You can't do extreme flavors of yeast for those styles, you know, sour, funky, bread, whatever. And so hops might be the reason why there's so many different IPAs out there because there's such a varied palette of flavors you can do just based on the variety of hops, the experimental hops that are out there. And when you use them in a beer, if it's a boil, if it's a dry hop, if it's a, how high the alpha acid is, like there's such a palette of flavors. And maybe that's why the IPA is such a varied category and why there's so many of them because you have so many options for flavor within an IPA versus the other styles, which are porters. How can you push a porter to extreme? Well, you make it more roasty? Okay, well, that's been done. So how else can you do it? Well, you can't really hop it up too much because then you end up with a, a black IPA. Not the style, but you know what I mean. But with an IPA, you've got the flexibility and the blank palette that goes with it. And maybe that's why there's so many of them. So has everything already been done from a style standpoint, sure, maybe. But there's still so many variations of flavor that you can put into a beer that it certainly doesn't get 
boring by any stretch. It's not the end all be all. I feel like that's a whole different conversation we can have on a mm-hmm. different podcast and also a different, just in general, something we can play with. But water profile in, for instance, food and pizza dough is a big difference. Like, that's what they always say. It's a different water. It is. Water profile is something different. Think about you. You change your water profile based on what beers we brew. So I am sure that all the breweries that we've talked about today all have their own separate water profiles. Does that actually make that big of a difference? Who knows? But like everything's going to be different between each brewery and it's going to be unique, if that makes sense. I don't think everyone's just using regular tap water. I'm sure. I mean, not tap water, but I'm sure that our O water. I'm sure everyone has got some sort of Trick. Trick. Something that they use. And that, that actually gives me hope because I always fear that things are going to get too extreme and they're going to start doing really weird stuff within beer. And they will, I'm sure. But that doesn't mean the base styles, the good quality beer, the stuff that you really just are like, yes, that is solid, that is awesome. Those are not going to go away. You'll still have the fringe weirdos. Pliny the Younger every year still sells out. Everyone trying to get wait in line for miles just to get to get into the brewery, to taste it, to get bottles. Pliny the Elder, Pliny the Younger, blah, blah, blah. Those beers are still flying off the shelves. Have they changed anything? No. Is it a just a great bomb IPA? Yes. But it's back to, it's a basic style. It's not like cloudy AF where I feel like I'm fermenting beer in myself after I drink it. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you drink stuff and it's like, did I just drink orange juice or did I drink a beer? Oh, you know what I mean? And some of those IPAs we've had that are very juicy, thick like, and juicy. Yeah. And I love the juicy kind of, I, I love the citrus in an IPA. I love the pine as well. I love the citrus. But there's been a couple that we've tried in the recent past that I'm like, oh, that tastes really good. But my stomach was like, no. Absolutely not. I kind of have a, I can't drink anymore. Yeah. You almost have like a acid reflux. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't think you should lose hope for that. I don't because like a good book, I feel like I will, I like to read novels, but I always go back to the classics and they all started from beginning and like good. I always go back to my mom's recipes. I always go back to the same beers that I like that are just classics. I'm willing to and open to try new things, but like, at the end of the day, I'll always go back to like my favorite slice of New York pizza yeah. in Brooklyn. So yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like I just, it's comfort and reliability and you know, you can rely on it to just be solid. Yeah. Where the extreme ones, you're like, I'm probably going to hate this, but I'm going to try it anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, that definitely gives me hope for the future of the brewing with the extreme styles and things. Like there's still some odd stuff out there, but I think that generally you're right. I mean, it's. You'll always have those good things to come back to, and I think that's good. So this is awesome. I'm glad we got to talk about this today. I'm glad we changed our topic, too. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, check us out, benandbrewinghbe.com, if you haven't already. Uh, and as mentioned in the middle of this episode, uh, you'll find us on YouTube with our tutorials. Uh, we do have our podcast on our website. Obviously, we have uh, some blogs there as well. Uh, and check us out on Rumble, Odyssey, and bit shoot we'll see how long that sticks around and this has been fun so christy as always i appreciate you joining me today oh of course thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you later my friends